All right, so welcome. We're glad you're here, and uh, we're glad to be celebrating Veterans Day. Dan, is this yours? You want this? It was too hot. It was too hot? Let's <laughs> me some love, man. That's what fellowship's all about. Here you go. You're welcome. Hold on, let me see. Is it still good? I did not spit in it, I promise. I did not. I did not. Hey, if you're a veteran, uh, not only would I honor you and uh, we uh, ask you to put some shadow boxes out there in awards, but before you leave, go by the welcome desk, which is the gather grow desk, and there's a free pizza for you and your family. Uh, as a person who served in the Navy for four years, I know that um, while my service was good, I know my wife's service at times was much harder. So a lot of times she was at home alone and working through a lot of stuff. And so that's for you and your family. So if you're a veteran, make sure you stop by there, get that. That's our church's gift to you in partnership with Hungry Howie's, which has been a great partner. Hey, as we think about Veterans Day, which just passed, and we're thinking about the kingdom of God, I want to present a message to you that's been something that's been kind of ruminating in my heart. Uh, but more than ruminating in my heart, I want to connect it to Veterans Day and a concept that might shock you, surprise you, or maybe even rub you wrong. So I'm going to ask for your permission with a little latitude. I know Tony's like, all right, I love it already. And he's like, punch me, man, punch me in the gut. So I'd like to go through, just for a brief moment, and look at some of the conflicts that have happened as a nation. And I want you to think about a principle that's a seam connected to every single one of those conflicts, whether that's been the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, II, Korea, Vietnam, a desert storm, or even the continued war on terror that's been going on. When you look at every single one of those, one of the unique things about our nation, about veterans, is there's been one core idea at the heart of all of those, which is freedom. Whether it's freedom for this nation initially, or to preserve that freedom so we weren't divided, or to extend that freedom to other people where it was being violated in and around our world. Now, the good news about that is I think most veterans get this, they understand this, and I think a lot of people in our country get it. But when you look at those, it's interesting that there were two conflicts where the veterans were noble, they had the right heart, but they weren't able to see victory. Difficult conflicts, probably two of the most difficult conflicts our nation's ever faced, and you can probably maybe throw the war on terror in there in a way, But there's something about that. The mission was noble. The veterans were right. Their hearts were right. But in Vietnam and Korea and possibly on the war on terror, we haven't been able to see victory. Why? In case you don't know any history lesson, Korea, we have an armistice. Okay, that just means cessation of hostility. But we weren't able to have a victory. Vietnam, we literally withdrew because of the situation. And the reason was this. The whole nation was not unified behind the mission. Now, this is critical not only as a nation, but it's critical when it comes to the church. Because the church has gone through many similar things. The church has a similar mission. They have a noble mission. They're supposed to be moving in a singular direction. But there are times that the church has lost its missional mindset. And so what I want to do where we've titled this Mission Impossible is I want to talk to you about how do we know if we've lost that? How do we know if we've gone wavered? How do we know if we're moving in a direction where victory is impossible because we've actually aimed at the wrong mission, even if we've got a noble and right heart? Some of you that have been married a while know that you can have a noble and right heart, but if execution and definition isn't there, things still get kind of weird, don't they? Amen? Oh, me. Don't elbow your partner, okay? But let's talk about this for a second. So the church has this idea of victory. 
And it's connected to the mission. And you might think that it could, you could say it was the gospel. You might even say, I've heard this said. Anybody ever heard this? That the hope of the world is the local church. But here's what I want to show you from Scripture. In Scripture, what's really talked about is the kingdom of God. In fact, the kingdom of God is listed over 160 times in the New Testament, most of it being what we call the synoptic gospels. If you're not familiar with that term, it just means that there's three of the gospels that are very similar. And in those especially, we hear this over and over again. Now, the church, as far as the singular term, is only used about 50 times in that same range. And it's not that the church isn't important. It's just that we confuse sometimes the church with the kingdom of God. And what I want to do is talk about this and walk you through this. In fact, um, depending on your background, we were talking about this with the worship team earlier. If you look at Matthew 6, you can, uh, you can turn it over for a second. Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 20. This is not in your notes, but if you want to write it off to the side, Matthew 16, 13 through 20 is something we know as Peter's confession, right? Some of you might know this story. They're hanging out. They're chilling. A bunch of guys, people on the side of the hill, and, and Jesus hits them with a question. He says, who do the people say? All right, some of you read that one. And some said John the Baptist. Some said Elijah. Some said all kinds of stuff, right? Kind of like your role. People talk about you. They got all kinds of things to say about who you are. And then Jesus looks at Peter. He says, but who do you say I am? Yeah, I heard somebody echo it. All right. And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This wasn't revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven. I tell you on this, I'm going to build my church. There's a lot of argument on what Jesus meant when he said this. And the word, that's the first time the word church is used in the New Testament. And that word church is an interesting word. It's a very simple word. It just means a gang, a huddle, a get together. That's literally what it means. It's ecclesia. It's just, you get together. In fact, it was used most of the time in Greek as a mob. Look, there's a mob. There's the church. (laughs) That's how it was used up to that point. So Jesus says, I'm going to build my gathering on this. If you grew up Roman Catholic, the this is the Pope. That's what you would be taught. If you grew up Protestant, you would be taught the this is the confession of Peter. And then there's another group of folks who say, no, the this is where he was standing because he says the gates of hell won't even prevail against it. And right behind Jesus, by the way, if you know geographically where he's standing, is a place called the gates of hell or Hades. And it's a rock. And some people would say, no, what Jesus was actually saying is wherever we pierce the darkness with the good news of who he is, that's the kingdom. Now, I believe a lot of times in Scripture, God leaves a lot of that open. The older I get, the more comfortable I get with the kind of unsureness of things. I get sure about certain things and not so sure about other things. I'm sure about Jesus. I'm sure about what he did in my life. I'm sure he changed the person I am. And I think that's what happened in the life of Peter that day. We in the church start arguing about that stuff. And then we lose sight of what the kingdom was really about. As Paul was wrestling with this, he wrote to a really cool group of churches in Galatia. And he wanted them to understand what the kingdom was about and what the gospel was about, and how this good news, that's what gospel means, is connected to this idea of the kingdom. So in Galatians 2, this is where we're going to study, so we're going to camp just these five verses. Galatians 2, 1 through 5. Listen to what Paul says to the church, okay? This is the churches in Galatia, but this can reflect where we are, maybe challenge you about what you understand the kingdom is, maybe even what the church is about. 
14 years ago, or 14 years later, Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to Revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. That's everybody that ain't Jewish, okay? But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So here's what Paul was essentially saying. He's like, I'm going to unload on you what the mission really is and what the kingdom of God really is and how it's connected to the church and how it's connected to the kingdom. So I want to run through that with you. And here's some things that I think will help you. The kingdom mission, this mission centers on something called the gospel. So the, the, the kingdom mission centers on the gospel. And the reason we know this is we got to look at the life of Paul. If you don't know anything about this guy, he's new to you, you've not read the Bible, you don't know who this dude is, you got to know that this guy was a Pharisee, right? He was, he was called the Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy was a religious dude. I mean, he memorized the first five books of the Bible. Who does that? Most of us skip over that when we read the Bible, right? Because it gets talking about weird stuff like pulling pigeons in half, and what women have to do to be clean. And there's all kinds of goofy stuff in there. You're like, I don't know what to do with this. He memorized those first five. This guy was religious, and his Jewishness, okay, as a Pharisee, was deep-seated, and he was passionate about his religion, and he was even persecuting the church. He's like, those Christians, I'm going to mess them up. He was getting letters from other places so he could have permission to go and kill and persecute Christians all around his world in Rome. And then one day, what happened? Uh, my, my mic is on. I have no idea what that means. Take my watch off. Because you think that's making the thing? So this is, this is our tech team. I am not selling my watch, just so everybody knows. I'll just set it aside here for now. And you get to see how tan I really am. Okay, so... Nothing to do with the message. Total squirrel, shoot the squirrel. Boom, okay, back to Paul. So Paul had this religiousness in him, and maybe you've had it too based on the way you grew up. And then he met the living, resurrected Jesus on this road called Damascus, and it messed his life up. Religion wasn't something you knew, something you practiced, something you did anymore. He met the resurrected Jesus. And he didn't know what to do. He had this born-again moment. It's pretty cool stuff. This dude called Ananias comes over, hangs out with him one day. God sends him. He's terrified of Paul. He has to lay hands on Paul to give him his sight back. Because of him, he met Jesus. He was struck blind. It was some wild stuff. And then Paul, that's why it says 14 years later, don't miss this, I went up to Jerusalem. Paul had to take his religion. And once he had met Jesus, he said, ugh. It's not right. There's something wrong. There's something missing. And he went for at least 11 years that we know to this place called Arabia, where he re-examined his faith. 
He says something's not in alignment. Something's not quite where it should be. And when he comes out of that experience, he comes back. And the only message this guy has, even though he's memorized five books of the New Testament and knows more than anybody else, is this thing called the gospel, the good news. And the good news was this. I had met Jesus, and he wrecked my life. He changed everything. I was a sinner, and now I have a Savior who saved me. And he says, there is no other message. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. What this has done in my life, I have no other message than this one message. Uh, one of the things that um, I want to admit to you is a mistake, because we make mistakes all the time, was um, I have a passion to see churches renewed, right? Some of you share that same passion. It's called revitalization, right? And this church went through a revitalization. And one of the things that I got so focused on, and you may not know this, but I keep a list of every church that we try to help. We've actually tried to help over 62 churches in the seven years, almost eight years that we've been doing this. And I have this passion to see churches revitalized. It's just in there because I, I love seeing God turn things around. But you know, you can get so focused on revitalizing churches, you forget about the gospel, the kingdom. Because it's not about that. It's about the kingdom. And I'm telling you, that's something. I remember we were hanging out with a buddy, uh, friends of ours went down to Arkansas, we were hanging out, and he said, well, why do you keep talking about revitalization instead of the gospel and how God wants to change people's lives? And that was convicting. It's taken me like a few years to actually process that. That it's so easy to get focused on the wrong things, even good things, in the church that you miss, that the kingdom is all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Maybe for you, it's been social programs. Maybe you think the church is the place where you're supposed to feed the hungry, change social situations, be involved in the community. By the way, you should, but that's not the primary mission of the church. That's why certain people like my sister right here came to me one day says, church I was a part of, they do great social programs, they do a lot of good for the community, but they never preach the gospel because it's central. It's central. It's the paramount thing. Maybe for you, it's church programs. Well, the church is about having a great kids program. It's about having a great youth program. It's about having good music, at least some decent preaching, not like the guy that puts me to sleep all the time, but some decent preaching. And the reality is, is you've made it about that or the growth of this specific gathering. It's so easy to get off track and miss the fact that it's about the gospel. Former church I was a part of, it was all about the weekend Stupid. I heard that often. All about the weekend. All about the weekend. We didn't even know how to share the gospel personally because for us, if you ask someone, how do you share the gospel? They would say, invite someone to church. The church is the gathering of God's people to glorify God, but the gospel is something like Paul that gets down in here and you can't help but teach it and preach it and share it with every single person that you meet. So that's the first thing you got to understand. The kingdom is connected to the gospel. That's the center point. That's paramount. The second thing is the kingdom mission moves to other cities and peoples. It does it all the time. The kingdom cannot be contained. It expands. It moves. It interacts. I love in Luke, you can write this all the side, Luke 4, 43, another cool verse of Jesus, which I just think is amazing. He's hanging out with a bunch of people. He's changed a bunch of lives. They've seen people resurrected from the dead. They've seen all this cool stuff, healings. And they're like, we need like, we like this guy. He's fed some folk. He's like, let's hang out with Jesus. And they're trying to get Jesus to hang out more. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus says, but he said this to them. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Because that's why I was sent. 
Even Jesus said, I liked hanging out with y'all. This was good for a season and a time, but there comes a moment I got to get out there and share the gospel with all these communities and all these peoples and all these people groups. I love it says 14 years later, again, coming back to our key text, Paul went up to Jerusalem. This time he went with this dude named Barnabas, son of encouragement, and he took Titus also. Do you realize that these two dudes are from different cultures? You may not know that because both names seem goofy to us, right? There's not names. We don't, you don't name your kid Titus, right? Anybody named Barnabas? Okay, maybe Barney, but that's as close as we get, right? But we don't name our kids this, so it's, it's foreign to us. But looking at this text, what you don't realize is one dude was a Jewish priest who had come to Christ, probably a Levite, we think, Barnabas, and he had gotten this gospel and everything had changed. And then Titus, this Greek dude, had gotten the gospel and said, nope, you ain't cutting me there. That's weird. Okay, he had pushed back on that whole idea, the Jewish idea. He said, I'm going to go just preach this gospel. And these two different cultures came together around Paul. Different cities, different peoples, different people groups. When I got here, one of the things that people pushed back on me almost right away, it was just kind of foreign to people, was I told them right away, we're going to have multiple pastors. And they're like, what? Why? Doesn't make sense to me. We always want to have one pastor. Pastor does everything, right? That's the way church works. That's how it operates. And I said, wait a minute. I don't know how church is supposed to work because I was one of those heathens that didn't grow up in church. I just got born again when I was 17. It wrecked my life. And then I went and got an education and had to kind of wage war with that because my education got goofy and weird at times too. But, but what I did learn when I read the New Testament was there are multiple people being raised up to go to multiple places all the time. All the time. And I'm like, that's going to happen here. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's going to happen here. God's going to bring people here. We're going to ask every once in a while, is God calling you to be a pastor? Is God calling you to be a deacon? Is God calling you to be a missionary? And guess what? The Spirit of God is going to draw those people in that moment and say, I'm one of those people. I'm ready to be sent. That's what apostle means, sent out one. And, so, and then they get sent. And people here were like, we don't get that. That's hard for us to understand. You know Why? Because I love you, I'm going to tell you why. It's because we get conditioned for church and not the kingdom. And when you're a part of the kingdom, you're ready to say, yes, Lord, wherever you want to send me, send me. I'm ready to go. You want me to serve as a deacon? I'll do that. You want me to go as a missionary somewhere I've never even been learning a new language? I'll do that. You want me to become a pastor, which I have no idea what that looks like or how that works? I'm ready for that. The other thing I love about this idea of the gospel and the kingdom moves out to all these peoples is it's irrespective of people groups. Have you noticed that? Doesn't care what color you are. Doesn't care what culture you are. Doesn't care what town you're from. Doesn't care how much money you make. One of the things that um, I heard early on as a Christian, maybe you've heard this, was you need to know your target. You ever heard that one? You need to know your target. It's this kind of person that lives in this kind of town. They have this kind of family. But then you read the New Testament like the gospel doesn't care. Gospel seems to go to everybody. You got people that are business people, like Lydia. Then you got people that are like homeless, and they're right there. And then you got people that are educated Pharisees, they have like graduate degrees, and they're all in the same church, all worshiping the same time. Because the gospel leveled them all, and they became a part of the kingdom. You may not know this, but Lifeway, which is a branch of our denomination, did a big research, and they found that 42% of people that come to know Jesus do so in a church plant. 90% of people that come to an established church already know Jesus. Why do you plant churches? Somebody asked me, why are we going to plant a church? Because I want more people to know Jesus. Because I want to spread the gospel to places where it's not being shared and preached. Because the New Testament says so. 
It's connected to this. It has to go to all the cities. It has to go to all the peoples. The gospel cannot be contained. Here's the other cool news about that. The church that's the sending church, the church that gets this, the church that gets it's about the kingdom and not about that one locale, grows by 28% when they go and they plant other churches. You know why? Because they get reinvigorated and passionate about the gospel again and not just about doing church. Ever been to one of those churches? They just do church. They have church. They're inwardly focused. But the church that's focused out here for the gospel, it grows. In fact, they grow not by keeping. They grow by sending. You want an example in scripture? There was this group of apostles. They were pretty smart people. They hung out with Jesus. They were the leaders of their day. They hung out in Jerusalem all the time. And they wouldn't leave. That was their hangout. That was their place. That was their city. And then in the book of Acts, it says, this great persecution broke out. It was when Stephen was stoned. And this persecution broke out and wrecked the church. You know why it happened? Because everything's under God's control, right? It scattered them. They moved out of their own cities. And eventually they moved to this one place called Antioch, which became the center place of sending all of these churches. All the churches we have today were because God said, you can't just hang out in your own little town. You can't hang out in your own little framework. You can't hang out in your own little home. You have to go out and you have to share the good news. And if you won't do it, I will allow persecution to come into your life to get your attention. You see, God's looking for people that understand this. The kingdom's mission, again, it's, it's centered on the gospel. It's centered on the gospel. It, it, it moves to other cities and other people groups and people. And you need to know this. The gospel is always opposed, just like the kingdom is opposed. Whenever you're a church about the kingdom, you're going to face opposition. It is always opposed. This matter arose in verse 4, you see that? Because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy out the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Have you ever felt like you're a slave in religion? You ever been to a church where you're told all the time, you have to do this and then this and then this and then this, all to be accepted to Jesus? Every time that happens, somebody's putting the shackles on you. They're chaining you down. They're making it about religion. Instead of, no, you need to know the Savior more. You need a great relationship with him. They want to steal your freedom. Sometimes we hand our freedom over. You ever notice that? We do that. It's amazing how we do this. Let me give you an example. If you ever get connected to a group at our church, we call them growth groups. And growth groups do three things, right? Growth group leaders and growth group people. We only discuss three things. You can discuss more than this, but there's three core things that make us a group, right? We discuss the wins. Then what else? The wrestles and the word, word of God. These three things are integral to our group, right? It's, it's how we connect things contextually in a way so we can get closer to God. What amazes me, not to stand in judgment, but just to be real, is when I say, share a win with me. And then I listen with an attentive ear. Because the kind of win you share in that moment will tell me how you view the kingdom of God. Is that win about you? Or is that win about Jesus? Is that win about something at your work? Or is that win about Christ being displayed at your work? Do you see the difference? And we don't even know we're doing it. By the way, I do it. I stand in judgment of me. 
There's times I go, that was a win, my truck started, right? I mean, there's just things like that. We just get so focused on our own lives that we forget that the win is really about Christ in our lives, in our work. Remember, the kingdom's centered on what? The gospel. So that means the wins have to be centered on the gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you shared the good news? When's the last time you shared your story? When's the, dang, my watch, see? All right. So, ah, ah, putting it back on, dag on it, okay? Win as not a win, other than it distracted us from the gospel. That's a wrestle. We'll talk about that later. So, so wins are centered on the gospel. Let me give you a win, a win that just happened this week. And, and I can miss them so easily, just like you. Walked into Rite Aid because I wanted some Diet Dr. Pepper. So stock the, show, stock the uh, stuff here. Got talking to the lady at the counter. She said, uh, said something kind of off, and she said, um, you probably don't have time to hear any of that. So I do if you're short. <laughs> if you're brief, I said, I got some time. So go ahead. Share with me your life. Share with me your story. And then she tells me, I mean, you could, poof. she tells me she moved down here because her fiancé was murdered up in New York. Yep. And then after she shares that, you don't talk about the opposition of the gospel, she shares that we have a, a child together, we have moved down here to be next to family, so we just kind of put our lives back together. There was huge attacks coming on us as we were trying to rearrange our lives. I said, how long ago was that? It was just two years ago. I said, well, sounds like you need the gospel. So we got talking about the gospel. Found out she has a church already, which I was like, wow, that's so cool. She's got a church, she's got a fellowship she's connected to. So I said, hey, when you're done work, come by here about three when you're done. I've got a book for you. And the Holy Spirit will mess up your life, by the way, all the time if you just listen to him. And then I got here and I heard the Holy Spirit said, why'd you ask her to come here? And I well, get the daggone book and take it back to her. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. Got the book and went back and handed it to her, wrote a note in it and said, here, I know this book will help you center on the gospel and how it can help you with your grief. And so those opportunities are all around us, and they're going to be opposed every time because of our busyness, because of where our focus is, and what we're wrestling with. And we don't even realize it. We even make the word about us. You ever notice that? We go to the word, go to God's word, and we're just looking for some encouragement. For me. For me. Instead of saying, where is God involved in the world around me, and how he wants to move in my heart to others? And then we get to wrestles. It amazes me when we get to wrestles, which is prayer requests. And I'll ask people, how can we pray together? And when you go into a church, this is one of my favorite things to do. Please do not rat me out to other churches because I love to do this. I love to find their prayer sheet. You ever done this? It's usually in the back. It's usually set up somewhere. And you find the prayer sheet. And then you read the prayer sheet. Ours is digital. Just watch it on the web. Okay? Um, and you say, what are they praying for? And it's their aches and their pains and their O's and their woes. That's what they pray for. And I'm like, where's the kingdom? Where are they praying to see Jesus advance in their city? Are they burdened for their school? Where's the burden? Where's the kingdom? I'm looking for it. And and I'm telling you, and it's because we're opposing the gospel without even knowing we're opposing the centrality of the gospel. And it's unintentional. I think busyness is one of the biggest ones that gets us. How am I going to have time to serve? when I'm so busy with my work? How am I going to have time to be involved in the community when my kids have me running everywhere for sports? There's so many things that keep us so busy. We're like, I don't have time to integrate with what the kingdom is doing. And, and this is something that's opposed and it infiltrates us so easily. I'll tell you one that might surprise you. Retirement. 
A lot of people work so hard to get to that moment of retirement, don't they? They're like, I made it, and I'm not dead. I'm good. I'm going to enjoy this for a little while. And then there probably is a part of that you need to stop and just enjoy. You're right. But really, retirement should be something to be leveraged so you can do more to advance the kingdom. Now, ain't the watch. Don't even try it, okay? Yeah. So he said, maybe. Matt's like, maybe. Whatever, man. But if you're retired, you should be advancing the kingdom. It should be something that you're able to do more. So the kingdom mission is all these things. It's centered on the gospel. It moves to other cities and other people. It's going to be opposed if you get involved with the kingdom. And then the kingdom mission fights for the purity of the gospel. It fights for the purity of the gospel. I love it when he says in verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment. So the truth of the gospel might remain with you. There are going to be people and situations that will fight to take away the purity of the gospel. Let me give you some things that will fight to kill you the gospel. Here's one that I've seen a lot, tradition. Tradition can be a good thing when it connects you to the heart of Jesus. Tradition can be a bad thing when it just connects you to the thing that you like because you like it. Whether that's music or liturgy or format of church. And tradition, by the way, doesn't mean it's old. We've got some new traditions in the newer church that are just as polarizing and distracting that take us away from the true gospel and attack the purity of the gospel. You know, when we tell people, again, the only way they can know Jesus is to come here. We have models of doing church and models around how we should share that can attack the purity of the gospel. We said business and activity. I'll tell you one that's big in our, our churches today is consumerism. Consumerism attacks the purity of the gospel. That it's about what I get, not what I share. That, that's consumerism. And, and a lot of times consumerism, we look at churches like this. We were just talking about this with our worship team. People will look for a church and they'll say, well, what do they have for me? What do they have for my kids? What do they have for my teens? And we pick our church based on that. Instead of, asking, instead of answering this question, Where does God want me right now where I could best advance the kingdom of God? Very different questions. And when you answer the one, you will know where God wants you. You know, maybe you go to a church and they don't have a children's ministry. Like, I can't go here because they don't have a kid's ministry. But then all of a sudden, God burdens you for that church. He burdens you for that geographical area. He tells you that's where you're supposed to be. Because maybe you're the one that's going to launch the children's ministry. What a foreign concept to actually launch something new. Because God birthed it in your heart. And burden you for certain people. Amazes me how people will come and say, well, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have something for singles? Um, if, if you ask that question, I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is you. Because you're the one that God burdened for it. And when you begin to get this, you begin to understand the purity of the gospel. The gospel is not a program. It's not a system. It's not a church. It's your heart. That's it. It's how your heart is burdened for Christ. That's why we pray the kingdom come. Come back to Paul for a second. What happened in Paul's life was the kingdom wasn't an idea anymore. The kingdom came and dwelt in Paul. And once the kingdom dwelt in Paul, he couldn't help but share that kingdom with other people. The kingdom has come. The real question is, has the kingdom come in you? Does God's kingdom reside in you? Does God's kingdom reside in you in such a way that you understand when I say the gospel, what it is? Because maybe you don't understand the gospel. I've said the gospel, but I haven't explained the gospel yet. 
Let me explain the gospel, just in case you've never heard the real gospel, that you've heard some other gospel, an impure gospel, a false gospel, an off-base gospel. Let me explain the gospel to you. It's very simple. The gospel begins with this very simple idea that all of us are screwed up. If you can't admit that you're messed up, then you have no need for a savior. See, that, that's how the gospel begins. And, and if you spend time with somebody who understands the gospel, they can help you understand. If you don't think, I'm, I'm perfect, if you're that person, you have no need for the gospel. If you're not a sinner, you have no need for the gospel. So it begins here. And for me, I didn't have to look very far as a 17-year-old kid to go, my life's pretty messed up. 17, I could look at my life and say, I made life all about me. And even the relationships I had were what I could get out of the relationships and not what I could bring to those relationships. Because the gospel was about me at that point. But Jesus has good news. His gospel is very different. It begins with, you are a sinner. It's the admission of that. And then, by the way, you can't fix it. No matter how hard you try. You ever done it? You ever tried to be a better person? You ever tried to do it on your own merit? It's exhausting, isn't it? You try and you try and you try and you realize, I just keep falling short. And the expectations around you, the other people around you fall short too. Because guess what? They're screwed up too. They're sinners like you. Then Jesus comes at the perfect moment in history. It was a perfect moment for so many reasons. And he says, I am unique. I am the son of God. And I've come to declare that the kingdom of God is here. Do you know why Jesus could say the kingdom of God is here when he lived here? Because he's the king. Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. And so Jesus said, hey, I want you to understand I'm the king. I'm the one you've been waiting on. Why is he the one we've been waiting on? Because he was God in the flesh. That's right. He wasn't just a man. He was fully man, fully God. Only someone fully man and fully God can bridge the, the gap between us perfectly between God and man. Man cannot do this. Only God can do this. And so that's why God had to come in the flesh. And so Jesus said, I'm going to live the life that's not possible for you to live. So for 33 and a half years, Jesus walked on earth and he never sinned in thought and he never sinned in deed. He lived a perfect life. And then after living a perfect life, he says, I'm going to let the creation that I spoke into being murder me. Crucify me. Because it's only when there's the shedding of blood that there can be a covering over or remission or removal of sin. And Jesus said, I can do that in a way that no animal can, no person can. Because I'm infinite, I can give an infinite atonement, an infinite payment. And he did. He was crucified unjustly. He was given the death that we deserve as sinners. But because he had never sinned, three days later, what happened? He couldn't hold him. He had victory over death because of his sinlessness. And he rose from the dead. And not only did the 12 see it, hundreds of people saw it. People all over the world have seen it. And people all over the world are still believing that Christ has risen from the dead. And because of that, he has victory over life and victory over death. People commit to that. And when they commit to that, he changes the very nature of who they are. And then this wonderful, miraculous thing happens through the Holy Spirit. Christ is birthed again in flesh. You ever thought about that? When the Holy Spirit comes into you and you become a believer, Christ is made alive again in the flesh in you. That's good news. Because I don't have to do anything. I just have to admit I'm messed up, 
believe in the only one who has uniquely lived in that way and commit my life to, his, to him. That's what it means to have the gospel. And when that gospel lives in you, it changes you. So if you're here today and you've never done that or you need to recommit your life, you found your life is out of focus, you've made life about you again, and you need that recentering, that's the real reason you're here because that's where the kingdom comes in you and moves out to everyone around you. So let's pray and do that. Father, for those that are here, I know that there's so many that were like me. They tried to live that perfect life and they just couldn't do it. Even just trying to be a better person, Lord, we wear ourselves out. Father, at some point we come to an end of ourselves. We get frustrated enough, we get angry enough, we get down enough, we get tired enough that we just don't want to try to live that way anymore. Father, what we don't realize is what's been doing that is sin. And so we want to take a moment in prayer to connect with you, to commune with you, and to admit our sin before you. Lord, we want to be specific. We don't want to hold anything back. You know all things. You already know the darkest thing that seems to be impacting or hurting our life and the lives of people around us. Lord, in this moment of stillness, would you bring those things to our mind? And then through our heart, would you allow us to confess them to you and be specific? Would you do that with Jesus now? Just confess your sin to him. Father, thank you that I can't deal with my sin. If you would have made it so that we could remove it, we would have such pride in what we would do and what we've done. But Lord, you made it so clear that our sin cripples us. It cripples us, it hurts those around us, and those that have hurt us hurt us from a place of sinful posture. But you sent Christ at the perfect point in time He lived the life that we're not capable of living. And because of what he's done and because that he paid for our sins, he was crucified for our sins, his blood was shed for our sins, we can have forgiveness. Father, we we lay hold of that right now. We put our hope and our trust in Jesus alone. Not as an idea, but as a person. And Father, we ask that we would become more aware, that he would become more real in our own hearts in this moment. Because he rose from the dead, Father, he sits at your right hand, and so we lead hold of that through commitment, committing this day our life to you, asking for you through your spirit to change who we are. Whether it's the first time, Lord, or the hundredth time where we need a change of heart and perspective, Move us to the place that you need us and show us how to walk in Jesus every day. That he would live through us to share his gospel so he can expand his kingdom, gives our lives the greatest purpose ever known to mankind. Father, we thank you for that. We commit our lives to you fresh and new. And all God's people said, amen, amen.
So if you're learning more about your faith and you want to know how you can learn more about faith and how to advance in faith, uh, we have a class for that. So um, we do it every few months. It's called Gathering with Grace. The class is about your faith. What does it mean to be a believer, which hopefully you know a lot more about now after today. What does it mean to um, have a relationship with Jesus connected to baptism? What is baptism about? What's it mean to be a part of the Lord's Supper? Uh, we talk about how you can continue to grow in your faith. And the class, the other thing we do is we help you to learn how to engage in God's word through something called a hang time or devotion time and how to build accountable relationships. If that's you, I would love to hang out with you. It's at one o'clock today. You run out, grab a bite to eat, come back. Every, everyone and anyone is welcome. Um, and it's, uh, we sometimes cover those topics and sometimes it kind of goes another, other, play, other ways because we just want to help you grow in your faith. That's the real purpose of the class. So one last question I have for you is, um, and I want you to really think about this. Are you opposing or contributing to the gospel mission? Are you opposing or are you contributing to the gospel mission? Um, a couple of things that I can do to help you in this if you're being honest with yourself. Uh, one of the things that I believe changes our lives is prayer. We believe heavily in the power of prayer. Um, of course, I want you to pray and bring your petitions to God. Bring the things you're concerned with. God is concerned about those. He does want you to do that. But I also want you to start to move in a different way, which is why we started doing something called Bless Every Home. So as a church family, we, uh, you can download this. You can go to the website. It's called blesseveryhome.com. If you've not done this, this is 